Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 52. I want to thank you for uh, stopping by. Uh, If this is your first visit, I pray that the Lord speaks to you through it. Um, If this is a repeat stop for you, I appreciate you taking the time once again to join me as we explore God's Word. So we have recently finished through the uh, book of Luke, and I hope everyone who celebrates the Christmas season. I hope you had a wonderful uh, season. I pray that uh, God ministered to your heart through it uh, as we appreciate and value the true reason for the season, God's Son who came uh, as a born, as a child, and lived his life in obedience to the Father, even to death on the cross. So today, as we shift gears and go kind of back to how we, how we used to progress, what I want to bring today is something that I was reading a couple weeks back that really stuck in my mind. And as I began to explore it, uh, I felt the Lord share some things with me, uh, some insights some perspectives, and I want to pass those on. And um, by no means do I believe that this is the only reality that can be gained from it. And And I hope what it does is stimulate you to pursue insight as you make your way through God's Word and as He speaks to your heart regarding particularities in His Word. So, what is going to be the root of what I'm speaking of today is going to come out of Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. So I'll just read this portion first and then start to kind of give some thoughts and some considerations to what's being said and what maybe are the implications of it. Mark 10, starting at 35, says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. That would be Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) That's a pretty bold statement. Uh, And Jesus responds and says, What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism. I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left 
is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, I pray that the Lord speak through me, uh, move me out of the way, and may he uh, receive glory and honor for any good thing that is said. So this this kind of stuck with me, especially several parts. For one, we find James and John, they come to Jesus rather boldly, asking him to do whatever they ask. And Jesus so politely and sweetly asks, what do you want me to do for you? Notice, though, here, he doesn't go straight to correcting them. It's a pretty bold statement for them to make. We want you to do whatever we ask for us. Jesus could have went straight into disciplinary mode, but he didn't. He asked and explored. Um, So, for one, we could learn from this um, and practice that same type of behavior. And so, in their request of him, they said, let one of us sit at your right side or hand, you could say, and the other at your left in your glory. So that that really stuck with me. And as I begin to think on this, um, I'm going to turn to some verses and we'll just read some portions together. Um, I didn't want to mark all these in advance, so um, they'll likely be some page turning. Um, Hopefully it's not too uh, noisy, but uh, we're going to go to Hebrews 1, so Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews 1, 3. And what I really wanted, what I was drawn to is this, what what I would call seating arrangement. So James and John ask Jesus, let one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on your left. Now, we envision, and I think rightly so, we envision, based on what we're going to read here in just a moment, the current seating arrangement, if you will, of God and Son, so God the Father and Son, the Christ, in heaven, seated. And we understand, based in Scripture, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Okay. Now, keeping that in mind, James and John asks, 
One of us wants to sit on your left and one of us wants to sit on your right. And, and so if you notice, though, there's a problem there because if what we understand to be true and what we understand them to be asking, well, if Jesus, if Jesus is sitting on the right hand or the right side of God, that means Jesus's left side is occupied. If, if Christ sits at the right hand of God, so Jesus is seated on the right hand, that would mean Jesus's left side would be occupied with the Father. Okay, so is our understanding of that accurate? So some verses here, Hebrews 1 verse 3. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay, so now we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, 2, and it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay? And next, we're going to look at um, Ephesians one twenty. Ephesians one twenty. Okay, so Paul's writing this to the church in Ephesus. One twenty. It says he exerted well let me just start at the beginning that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion okay so seated at the right hand and now we're going to look at 1 Peter 3.22. 1 Peter 3.22. And that says, we'll just start at the beginning of the sentence. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers in submission to him. Now, I've not listed this, but also in Acts, Stephen, as he is being stoned to death, looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand. Now, I think there's something fascinating in that, just kind of as a, as a kind of trail off of this reality of Christ seated on the right hand of God, um, there is specific language used for 
Christ being seated. And then we also see with Stephen, as he's stoned, we see Christ standing. It's in, it'd be interesting to pursue uh, some of what, why there is some differences between him seated and standing and what are the implications of that. So maybe uh, just a thought there for you to explore on your own. But um, as we, so as I look at those scriptures, I think, okay, I, I believe that to be a pretty good basis for why we believe that Christ is seated in uh, in heavenly places or in heaven next to the Father on his right hand or on his right side. So when we read James and John asking to be seated on his one on the right and one on the left, we find ourselves up against an issue here, and that is, well, Christ's left hand or left side is occupied. So then that must mean that they are, as we might could understand it, maybe speaking of a different arrangement. And we could call it a different seating arrangement. So if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, his left side is occupied. But notice what Jesus responded to in in, in their request, he said, verse 38, you don't know what you are asking. And then Jesus goes into, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized, how I will be baptized, etc. So Jesus doesn't say, well, that's impossible because that spot is taken or at least one of the spots is taken. He doesn't say that. And so that's fascinating. So perhaps we're speaking of something different. He goes on, Jesus goes on to say, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So then... The next question that kind of spurred in me, well, if you look, they say, James and John, they say, one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So what does this phrase, in your glory, mean or bring to the table? So we're going to look here in Luke 926 Luke 9:26 Okay, so Jesus is speaking here and he says whoever is ashamed of me and my words the son of man says a phrase that he uses often to describe himself which has an old testament root that links him to claiming to be God. So it, it's a to those with Old Testament heritage, they would clearly identify this to be speaking of of the Messiah of God. But he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed 
of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, I just want to inject this little thought-provoking question here, but notice into is not the word that is used here. It's in. So he, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So I, I, I picture this rather than into, kind of like when you, uh, if you're putting on pants or putting a shirt on, you're, you're going into them. And it's, it's a external thing that you come into, but it doesn't use the word into. What are the implications of that? It's, I, I can understand this to mean in his glory, it's this inseparable reality. He's coming in his glory. So it's this inseparable nature of his radiance. Okay, we're next going to also look at uh, Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. Practice some speed verse finding here. <laughs> I think we used to call these like Bible drills back in the back in the day. Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. Jesus said to them, speaking to his disciples. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So what I want to point out here is when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Now, does this throne, I, I want to inject this question for you to consider, does this throne that we read of here, does it differ or is it different from or does it describe a throne other than the one that Jesus is currently seated on? Yeah, because as we read Hebrews, First Peter, Ephesians, we read those verses that that detail Christ seated on the right side or hand of the Father. He's seated on a throne. So 
now I don't have an answer to offer, but it's pr to provoke your thought. Does this in Matthew nineteen twenty eight does this detail a different throne? Now I want to jump to this verse, this passage out of Acts. This is this is kind of a a, a subset of or, or a shoot off of what I want to ultimately say about what John and James are speaking of, but it's Acts seven forty nine as as we're discussing thrones. Seven forty nine. We'll start in forty eight. However, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Now this is a passage that um, is being quoted out of uh, from Isaiah 66 verses 1 through 2. And if you look, the Lord is saying this. So this is a speaking of the Lord. Um, and this is Stephen. He is giving a speech to the Sanhedrin uh, right before he is stoned to death. That's Acts 7.49. But he says, the Lord is saying through the prophet Isaiah, heaven is my throne. That's fascinating as we're speaking of thrones. Now, another passage that I want you to to notice is Psalm 11.4. Psalm 11.4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. So as we as we think of as we think of thrones and we think of heaven heaven is a place that is built around the worship and the majesty of god and his christ so central to heaven is a person and here we're talking about the oneness of god but it's the father and the son central to heaven is God. And the verse speaking in what we read in Acts, the Lord says, heaven is my throne. This speaks of a more grander function of heaven as it relates to God. Don't think of heaven just as this, this place of beauty and perfection. But God says, heaven is my throne. Thrones speak of 
authority, supremacy, glory, honor. So think about this. A king can be a king even without a throne. But the throne embodies his attributes, his position. A throne testifies to the king's position. So when God says, heaven is my throne, he is affirming that he sits in the center of representing the the one that's exalted through heaven's design. Heaven's purpose is to exalt the one it testifies of. Or you could say heaven's purpose is to exalt the one that it adores. So God, the Christ, and Father are central in heaven. Heaven is a mirror to behold the awesomeness of God. Since thrones demonstrate the reality of their king, so too does heaven demonstrate the reality of its king. <laughs> That's wonderful. Because remember, a king can still be a king without a throne. The throne embodies the kinghood, the kingship. So thrones demonstrate or mirror the reality of their king. Thus, heaven too demonstrates or mirrors the reality of its king. So when God says, heaven is my throne, he couldn't be more accurate there. Heaven is mirroring the reality of his kingship. Okay. So, as we get to now the meat of what I think can be discovered inside of the request of James and John, remember, they asked Jesus for one to sit on his right and one to sit on his left in his glory. And we read in the passage in Matthew, I believe it was 19, 1928, uh, speaking of in the regeneration. So where Jesus responds to James and John with a statement, the very intriguing statement, you don't know what you are asking. And I think Matthew 25 sheds light on why Jesus said that and what is in, what he means or what he could mean inside of that statement. Matthew 25, 31 through 34 is I'm going to read. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, there's that language again, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. There's that language again. All the nations will be gathered before Him. So this sounds very much like 
the um, the final judgment place. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Note let let that let that be a an, a little alarm going off in your mind. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. What is it? Notice that. Take your inheritance. What inheritance? The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then you skip down. Jesus talks about how those who were in need, you helped, and they go back and forth. And in verse um, 45, Jesus says, He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they, so verse 41, he's talking to those who are on his left. He said, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus is speaking to those who have been separated on his right and on his left. So when James and John say, let us one sit at your right and the other at your left, he says, Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking Could it be that the only left or right side gathering will be the separating or the distinguishing of his sheep from those who are of the world, of the children of wickedness? So he, he says, Jesus tells them, those who are on his right are the sheep and the goats to his left, goats being the children of the world, those offspring of wickedness, and those on his right, his sheep, children of God. Jesus says, Jesus says this place prepared. Thirty, thirty-four. then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. Okay, back to Mark 10. He says, It is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Okay, it's taken me a while to get to this point, but I feel like there is a, a decent amount of evidence to support what I believe to be true. Jesus tells them in Matthew 25, 34, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What Jesus offers to James and John and any others who will heed his words, what Jesus offers isn't his left or isn't a left or right sided seat a place James and John are after a place of authority a place of honor and and what Jesus isn't offering 
is a seat. He's offering sonship inheritance of a kingdom that's been prepared. It's not a seat that one can obtain. It's a kingdom. And we know throughout the ministry of Christ, he preaches the kingdom of God. I mean, that the kingdom is something that is is hammered time and time again through the ministry, through the preaching of Christ. James and John wanted position and authority in a seat. But what Jesus offers is not a seat, but a kingdom. And the only left or right side is that of the separating between heirs and hostiles. Heirs of the kingdom, sheep on the right. Hostiles, goats on the left. And so I think that what Jesus is, is hinting or whispering of when, they, when he says, you don't know what you're asking, the only left or right side that, you, that, that is available is those that will be separated in, in distinguishing who is mine and who is of the world. And what he offers isn't a seat, it's a kingdom. So I pray that that is, is illuminating. I pray that God uses it. Um, I, uh, I thank you for staying with me through this as I struggle to get uh, it all out there. I pray that it's a blessing. I pray that it stimulates you to explore God's word. I would love to hear uh, your feedback or your thoughts about this uh, or any insights maybe you've had, um, reach out to me through email. I'll, I'll put the email in the show episode description. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And for those who end up coming across this episode, uh, the Bible study podcasts um, at gmail.com. But if I've missaid that, um, it again will be posted in the episode notes. Um, so I pray that it's a blessing and I thank you for tuning in. May God bless you. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here.